lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living screen. It's from 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 12. If you have a church Bible, it's on page 1222 and it's uh, four books, main books before the end of the Bible. Okay. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the, the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. This is the word of the Lord. My turn, is it? Well, good morning. My name is Graham Hoare, and I'm pleased to be sharing with you this morning. Just a little bit of background myself. I, uh, when I left school, I trained as a technician, and then I spent seven years after I got married. I went and worked with my father-in-law for seven years, so I could earn my wife, and then. Um, uh, then I went teaching and I was a teacher in the education department for 10 years and then I was a teacher out at Dare Christian College for 10 years where I was uh, a middle school teacher and uh, with maths and English and whatever else they needed and I was also in charge of the Christian education uh, program at the school. And then uh, uh, God did something in my life where he called me to basically plant a church. I grew up um, 
we uh, went to Hope Valley Uniting Church and uh, I was, uh, for one year I was actually pastoring that church and then when Graham Trophy came, I was the uh, youth director for many years. And then when we planted, uh, when Graham left the Uniting Church, uh, I was the appointed uh, as youth pastor of the Northeastern Community Church, which became Northeastern Vineyard Church. And um, then he asked me to plant another church, and so I planted Torrens Valley Christian Centre. And that was 27 years ago, so that's a while back. Um, my wife actually, Diane, she was hoping to be here today, but was unable to because she got a cough and she didn't want to share it with you, and uh, which I'm sure you're greatly thankful for. And uh, uh, she actually grew up in this area. She lived at Highbury all her life. Her father owned land up behind where all the quarries are and all those sorts of things. And so we built a house, our first house we built in this area in 1968. And... Uh, we had short sojourns to Balaclava and Wyala where I was teaching and then we came back here and we were at Hope Valley for 30 years before all this other stuff happened. So that's basically the summary of my life. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to the truth of your word today and give to each one of us the revelation we need for our lives this week and into the future. When the planes hit the Twin Towers in New York on 9-11-2001, Christina Stanton had been knocked unconscious as she stood on the balcony of the 24th floor apartment just six blocks from the Two Tower. She was relocated to Battery Park. She left the island as a maritime rescue and like many others in that downtown trauma zone, she couldn't return to her apartment for months. She worried about her health after inhaling dust from the collapsed towers. While standing in Battery Park, Christina wondered whether she would survive the day and she began to, to reconsider her shallow faith. She said, I didn't know where I was, whether I was going to die. I became painfully aware that I didn't possess a relationship with God that I'd, only ever that I'd only ever lived for myself. It was a terrible acknowledgement that throughout my life, a saviour beckoned me with open arms and I never cared enough to respond. A friend told her about the local Redeemer Church in New York and she accepted the church's financial gift and eventually became a member of the church where she with her husband are now on the staff. Unlike Christina at this moment, most of us are not facing that kind of challenge as to whether if we die tonight, where we might end up. The question as to where she would be if she died that day was very real. However, for most of us, our lives are not threatened and an appropriate question that might apply to us is, if you don't die tonight, which I hope is the case for all of you, what are you going to do tomorrow? The answer should be, I'm going to trust Jesus with all my life and with everything. So most of us won't be dying tonight. 
And so we have to decide on how we're going to live tomorrow as followers of Jesus. In 2 Peter, that reading that we've just heard, Simon Peter was writing near the end of his life and reminding the followers of Jesus how to live the life that Jesus intends that followers would live. Consequently, he wrote those words that we heard from Scripture today. It started in verse 3, said, His divine power has given us everything for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. We need reminders all the time that something amazing has happened to us when we repented and believed and were saved through faith. Something very significant happened. Whether you, like me, I grew up in the Methodist minister's home and so we travelled all over the state. And so faith was always there, but there were crisis points in my life that I had to uh, decide whether I would continue to follow Jesus or whether your experience has been sudden where you were confronted by Christ in some way and decided to follow him and, and gave your life to him. We've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into being a new creation in Jesus. We are now participating in the life that Jesus is living and there are things we can do to help us grow in that relationship. One theologian wrote, the Spirit of God transcends human ability and transforms human inability. And the Spirit gives us power to do things we could never do and takes what we can do and makes it even better. An incredible transformation has taken place that has enabled us to live in a totally new way with other people. As a new creation in Christ, we have a new identity and been brought into a new community that expresses the life of Jesus because he lives in each one of us. We are forgiven. Guilt has been dealt with. We have received the Holy Spirit. Christ lives in us. We have been powered by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 1.27 it says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. John Wesley was a famous preacher who lived from 1703 to 1791. And he preached thousands of sermons across Britain and the United States and obviously experienced all kinds of opposition. In 1740, a deist by the name of Covers Middleton published a challenge to the Christian belief in miracles and called into question the integrity of the Christian gospel that Wesley was preaching. Though scheduled to visit a friend in Rotterdam, John Wesley delayed his trip 20 days so he could see through Middleton's challenge and respond as clearly and charitably as possible. The result was an essay called A Plain Account of Genuine Christianity that demonstrates that for the revivalists, the best evidence of the Christian faith is the power of the transformed life as seen in the community of faith.
The most enduring part of Wesley's response to Middleton was tucked away at the end of his response. After defining what can be called genuine Christianity, Wesley made a simple but potent appeal in eight words to Middleton and laid his gospel on line with his come and see what Christianity has done here. From a person who was a great preacher and a master with words, his defence of the gospel was the power of the community holding on snugly as it rides into the cycles of grace itself. We know from history that John's preaching radically changed the society through the people and community that came about. It is the Christ in us that will be the proclamation that we make as a church. How we are transformed will be the witness. The community that God has created is also seen in the Old Testament as well as the New. We see it in the life of Abraham, Moses, David and many more. It has not always been an obedient one, but God has not let it go and continues to establish a family that expresses the heart of God to both the local community and the world. A people in whom God's transforming power is working daily. If we only treat the time from when we first believe to the time we die so that all our life is about waiting to go to heaven, we miss what God is wanting to do with us now. If Wesley had done this, the world would be a different place, as it was through the preaching of the gospel that brought transformation to people such as Wilberforce, Rakes, Carey, Florence Nightingale, General Booth, and a hundred other vital leaders who brought freedom and life to many people and changed societies. In his communities, Wesley gave five ways to stay unified, even if we disagree in the non-essentials. Number one, Treat them as companions. In other words, ask them to lunch. Two, do not think or speak evil of them. Refrain from pointing out your differences. Focus on what you have in common. Three, pray for them. Make the personal church the special object of your prayers that week. Four, encourage them to do good. Encourage the person in the good work they're already doing. Ask them questions to find out more of what they're doing. Collaborate with them in ministry. See if you can work alongside of them. And so they were just ways that he encouraged his community to be expressing the very heart of God that was a witness to the, to the world. It's not just about hanging around and trying not to sin until we die. It is about the transformed life that is expressing Jesus wherever we go each day. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's work is to make us like Jesus. It is a life made for relationships that form community. It is about lives transformed by the gospel because of the grace of God. It's something we're about every day in cooperating with the Holy Spirit. In Timothy Keller's biography, one of the quotes that recently grabbed my attention was, Cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever imagined. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. When we recognise how fallen we were as people from wanting anything to do with knowing and worshipping God and then discover how much God loves us, particularly expressed in life, death, resurrection of Jesus, we start to glimpse the transformation that God does in us because of faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ in each one of us. 
We are no longer driven by the desire for self and wanting others, what others have, but instead have a desire to serve God and others. The desire to serve God is in the ultimate place. The reverse is idolatry, where something else is our greatest desire. What we discover is that the grace of God is God acting in my life to accomplish what I cannot do on my own. Later in 2 Peter, from the reading we read today, chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. We grow in our knowledge and experience of God's presence in our life through the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. We do what we cannot do on our own, but only through the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The great thing is that God does provide everything we need to become who he intended from the beginning. Many Christians have found it useful in using different Christian disciplines, such as fasting, solitude, sacrifice, study, worship, prayer. The list goes on. But in practising these, it's not to gain points to elevate oneself before God, but so that our relationship with God is enriched. 2 Peter 1.3 says... His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Whatever is needed to live the life God has for us can be found in Christ. It all comes from him in the first place and he has made it available to us. So we must turn to him through prayer, his word, worship, fellowship, and the spiritual disciplines. Second, he wants nothing less for us that we should come to share his own nature. 2 Peter 1.4 says, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. The Holy Spirit has come to reside in us to lead us forward. It may not feel like that at times, but as we grow in our awareness of his presence leading, we will be thrilled at knowing his involvement in our lives. Saying thank you to our Heavenly Father throughout our day is so important. Setting, a time, setting aside time in prayer and just waiting on him is important as is the way we become more sensitive to his presence becoming more aware of him through the day by simply speaking to him is part of the transformation that he's doing in us. I look back over my life and I can only wonder how God moved in my life and led us in the way he did. When we planted the church, it's now called Torrens Valley Christian Centre. Um, it was something I didn't have a clue of what I was doing and yet the Holy Spirit was leading us and uh, has led us to the point it is now. But his grace is there to take us forward. In the next couple of verses of today's reading, Peter gives a list of virtues that reflect something of Christian character. It is not that he is suggesting that a person earns anything by developing these characteristics, but instead highlighting the changes that God does in us by his Holy Spirit as we cooperate with him through obedience. Earning and effort are two different things. Earning is an attitude. 
where we consider that we deserve something because of what we have achieved. I go to work, I do something, I believe I should be rewarded for that. But effort is an action that involves time spent in moving towards a goal of seeing the character of Christ developed in us as we depend upon the grace of God by means of the promises of God, cooperating with the Holy Spirit through prayer, reading his word, and most importantly, obeying his word. N.T. Wright puts it this way, Christian behaviour is basically good works in the sense of doing things which bring God's wisdom and glory to birth in the world. I like the idea of bringing God's wisdom and glory to birth in the world. We could do with a lot more of that. We are called to be genuine image-bearing, God-reflecting human beings that works out in a million ways, not least in a passion for justice and an eagerness to create and celebrate beauty. Peter puts it this way in verse 5 and 7. For this reason, make every effort to add your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Peter gives us a list of Christian virtues that we're to grow in. Such lists were common at that time. There are several in the New Testament. Once again, Peter uses common words from the surrounding culture, but gives them a distinctively Christian twist by starting with faith and ending with love. How are we going for time, okay? When talking about faith, it's the same as back in verse 1, the individual belief of the Christian. Having said that, it is faith which is God's gift that puts us right with him. Now, now he writes that personal and private assent to Jesus' lordship, if it is authentic, must work itself out in public and practical ways. Faith is this both the foundational and functional. Peter still has the great future picture in mind too, and this is above all the reason for Christians to make every effort to live a life here and now which is consistent with God's promises. Goodness, apparently goodness, was a matter of great concern to thinking non-Christians at the time. What is it that makes a person good or excellent at being a human? Good question to ask. Peter's answer is not a particularly philosophical one. The ideal person is Jesus Christ. The Christians will find their excellence in imitating him. Since his goodness was shown by what he did, our faith will show itself to others in active goodness. When it comes to knowledge, he means information about Jesus Christ and what pleases him. It is a kind of knowledge that comes from reading, thinking and discussing as a Christian. If we want to grow in Christ's like goodness, we shall have a hunger and a desire to grow in the knowledge of Christ. As he makes clear, that is the kind of knowledge which he can add to or grow in the better informed about God and his word. We can have the kind of knowledge by understanding Bible passages, reading good books and being well taught. It has a sense of personal knowledge, the knowledge of a husband or wife or good friend that goes beyond knowing things about them and actually knows them. Just as self-control is moderation with regard to good things, so perseverance is the willingness to put up with tough times 
because of the promise of better times ahead. A Christian will therefore persevere, even though it may be distressing to stand out in a society opposed to God. A Christian trusts that the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. The reason Christians are to persevere, the history has its goal in the return of Christ. And since you are looking forward to this, you are to make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Perseverance means keeping going until the very end. Godliness has already occurred in verse 3 as a catch-all word for a very practical awareness of God in every aspect of our life. Christian faith covers over, covers our attitude not only to problems but also to people. And Peter turns first to our relationship with Christians. Two English words, brotherly kindness, translate one Greek word, Philadelphia, a common term for relationships within the family unit. The New Testament is the only place where the word has been found outside the context of home. A first century reader would have therefore come across it here with a sense of shock. Peter really does mean that Christians should have a quality of relationship which is demonstrably different and satisfying, demanding a high new loyalty. And then he finishes with that characteristic of love. Then there is the characteristic love of love, that wanting the best for another and doing all one can to bring that about. The transformation that God does in us is primarily seen in the way we love one another both inside and outside of the community of faith. What happens when we trust in all he has done in Jesus is incredible, as we are forgiven and empowered to live the very life of Christ. It can be seen even with all our failures and limitations as the grace of God is greater than any of these. The challenge, of course, is that we continue to live with a new mindset that God is with us through the Holy Spirit being present in our lives. This impacts how we look at the world around us and what we have to give through prayer, through words of encouragement, through generous giving, laying down our lives to the benefit of others and loving people in whatever situation we find ourselves in. When Patrick was a teenager, the son of a wealthy pillar of the community in Britain, Patrick was kidnapped. His dream of a life of fame and wealth was jolted in the middle of the night by voices, weapons and threats. He was gagged and wrapped in chains. Then he and others in the household were marched in the dead of night to a waiting boat. Each of those captured was summarily evaluated in a cold-blooded triage and some became, because they were deemed useless to the mission, were put to death in sight of the young man searing his mind with vivid images, too vivid to allow sleep. Patrick survived that night only because he was robust enough for farming. Forced into a boat and taken to exile in a foreign country, Patrick became a slave of a sheep farmer for six years. Reared in a wealthy home and promised a noble future, he found himself labouring on a primitive farm in a foreign country. Instead of a future, Patrick had a past. But in the, that exile, he wrote, but it was here that God first opened my heart. God used the time to shape and mould me to something better. 
He made me into what I am now, someone different from what I was what I once was, someone who can care about others and work to help them. Before I was a slave, I didn't even care about myself. Patrick found his story in God embracing grace. As a slave, and plenty of time to reflect on the meaning of life, Patrick reclaimed the Christian faith he had recently renounced for atheism. He began to rise early to say prayers fastidiously, and he began a lifelong practice of fasting. He used his time tending sheep for prayers and for reciting the Bible stories he had learned as a child. Then one day he had a vision. In a dream, God told him he would be going home soon and that a boat was ready to take him. The boat was 200 miles away and somehow he escaped, shrewdly got passage and escaped back home across the sea. Later he had another dream, which led him to return to the land of his captivity where he planted a church. Leader after leader embraced the gospel and the community after community embraced the gospel. This revival under Patrick occurred in the 5th century AD. His parish was Northern Ireland and today is known as St. Patrick. The gospel is powerful to transform, not just for eternity in heaven after this earthly life is done, but to bring heaven to earth through transformed lives. 2 Peter 1.10-11 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome to, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Transformation comes about as we cooperate with everything that God has done for us that we first received as a gift of faith and then energetically acknowledge God's presence throughout the day. Christ in us, through repentance, worship, through gathering with our new family, reading and prayer, through singing songs, through silence and reflection. Perhaps the biggest challenge for many of us is that it involves running away from the things that seek to disconnect us from God that leads to sin. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every provision you have made available to us for living the transformed life. Thank you for the new identity you've given us in Christ, that Christ is in us. We're so excited about that, Lord. And we thank you for that. Help us to cooperate and nurture this new life that you have given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and trusting in your grace, that empowering presence available to us each day. Amen. Amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.